If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. No handout today, so you'll need, you'll need your Bible for just, uh, just a minute here. Last week, um, I had us do something that was kind of awkward. I had us physically uh, write down the names or initials of our enemies. Either people who we consider an enemy or people who consider us their enemy. And it was born out of what we read in Luke 6.27. Let's read it together. Would you please stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, verse 27 and following. Actually, I'm just going to read to verse 28 right now. Luke 6, verses 27 and 28. The words of Jesus. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. You may be seated. We read that text last Sunday, and before we read it, we went through an exercise in which we wrote down the names of our enemies, or the names of those who would perhaps consider us their enemy. And I had quite a few of you actually reach out to me in the last week. Uh, some emails, some personal conversations. Um, I had a number of people uh, just uh, grab my attention for a little bit and say, Hey, Pastor Neil, I, I've got some questions about what we, what, that exercise and what we went through last week. Essentially, the people that had asked me questions, and there were quite a few of you, and I appreciate that, really do. Um, Essentially, you were asking three questions, and I want to break them down and talk about them briefly. The first question that, that you would ask is something like this. Well, enemy, enemy is a strong word. I don't know that I have enemies. I try to get along with everyone. So how does this sermon, how does this part of God's word apply to me if I don't feel that I have enemies? And to that, I would say that's a great question. Great question. In that case, what you might want to do is maybe lower the terminology a little bit. Lower the bar just a little bit. And ask a different set of questions than we asked last week. Questions like, who do I have negative thoughts towards? Who do I have trouble getting along with? Who do I resent? Or who am I bitter toward? Or who is negative or bitter toward me or resentful of me? I think it's true that the term enemy for us, as we heard it last week, it might have, uh, it might have brought forth connotations that uh, were maybe too harsh, uh, too, too strong for, for the kinds of people that perhaps we could also include here in Jesus' teaching. And so you might ask those different questions, more simpler questions. Who do I have negative feelings toward? Who am I bitter toward? Who do I resent? Or who is negative and bitter and resentful toward me? A second question that I was asked was, well, pastor, doesn't, doesn't Jesus want me 
to not have enemies? Doesn't Jesus want me to try to make it right with everyone around me? And, and with those I have conflict with, aren't I supposed to, to follow the principles of, of Matthew 18? Let's turn there briefly. Turn back in your Bible, just a couple, uh, couple books from Luke. Go back to Matthew and look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. That's not enough pages that I hear, folks. Get your Bible out. I want to hear pages flipping. All right? Matthew 18, verse 15. So, so the objection was, Pastor, I'm not supposed to have enemies. I'm, I, I want to reconcile with everyone. And, and so I'm, I'm trying to follow Matthew 18, verse 15, where it says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. And to that I would say, of course, particularly with respect to uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ, which is primarily what Jesus is addressing there, of course, it is best, it is ideal, it is the number one objective of ours to not have enemies, to go and seek reconciliation from someone, to make it right, as it were, according to Matthew eighteen fifteen, to go to them privately, resolve the conflict, lower the contention. But sometimes conflict remains. We're human. We live in a fallen world and we experience fallen relationships. And sometimes that discord remains. And when that happens, when that happens, Jesus asks us to forgive them anyway. Turn, turn over to Mark 11. Go one more book over. Jesus asks us to forgive them anyway. I want to read Mark 11, verse 25. Mark eleven twenty five, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. So God's word is clear there. When we're at, when we're in, uh, at odds with someone, when we're in conflict with someone, and we might have negative thoughts toward them or they to us, yes, we're to go to them, we're to try to make it right, but regardless of what happens, we're to forgive them, regardless of what happens. We're to forgive them according to Mark eleven twenty five. If we stand praying, we're to forgive our brethren if we expect God to show us any favor. And yet still, sometimes, conflict remains. Still, sometimes, that person whom we have tried to make it right with, whom we have forgiven in our hearts, and, and we don't look upon them with negativity or with bitterness or resentment, and yet still they look upon us in that way. In that case, Jesus' words in Luke 6 still apply for us. They're still relevant for us. And so, inasmuch as you follow Matthew 18, verse 15, inasmuch as you follow Mark 11, verse 25, sometimes that person is still thinking negatively toward you or bitter or resentful. And so, the teaching of Luke 6 applies for you. And finally, a third question I was asked, and this is a very common one, very common question, and it's a good one. Pastor, isn't it healthier? Isn't it better if I just avoid these people? Pastor, isn't it better, isn't it wiser of me just to ignore what's happening between us? The the discord that is between us. Wouldn't that be a better way? 
To that I say, read again Luke 6, our text. Read again Luke 6, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Isn't it, doesn't it seem clear that we cannot heed Jesus' words here and simultaneously ignore or avoid that person? Jesus said, do good to your enemies. Luke 6, 27. Do good to them. Bless them, verse 28. Pray for them, verse 28. To obey Jesus' words here means that you are thinking about your enemies, not ignoring them, not indifferent to them. Means even being in their presence, not avoiding them, not ignoring them. In their presence so that you can do good toward them. Is it healthier to just avoid or ignore those I'm at odds with? The answer is no. Does that mean we seek them out and we run after them and we pester them? I'm going to bless you. I know you hate me, but I'm going to bless you. No. But when we are in their presence, we're not to turn around and walk away. When we're in their presence, we're to look upon Luke 6 and go, okay, Lord, I've tried to make it right. I've forgiven them. They're still at odds with me. They're thinking negatively toward me, bitter, resentful. So when I'm in their presence, Lord, I am going to heed verses 27 and 28 and following in Luke 6. When you find yourself in their presence, as we will uh, see a little bit later on in Luke 6, we are to do good to them. Now, I hope that uh, clarifies some of the questions that a few of you had as you came into church today because uh, I had people asking these kinds of questions. So, so I wanted to clear it up a little bit. But we are in part two today of our series in, uh, in this portion of the Gospel of Luke. I've entitled it, What to Do with uh, My Enemies List. What to Do with My Enemies List. Luke six twenty seven and following. And I, and I must say to you uh, at the onset that um, I was uh, very frustrated, actually, with the development of this message as it came to be. Those of you who have taught or, or preached or been in teaching circumstances, those of you who are teachers can recognize this, and those of you who have preached and been in speaking situations, you can prepare and prepare and prepare, and I've, I don't know, maybe eight notes, eight pages of notes today of preparation. And sometimes at the end of your preparation or your teaching plan or your, uh, your effort to just study, study whatever it is you're studying and to present your case to the people, um, you can be at the end of uh, that time of study and preparation and still feel like you have very little to say. You ever been there? No one? Tom, have you been there? Every time. I spent a lot of time in um, Luke 6 um, in the past couple weeks, and I actually would like to ask you for more time. Uh, 
Um, and the reason is, I spent so much, I want to I confess something. I spent so much time in preparing for what these verses did not say than I did in preparing for what they do say. In other words, I was so concerned with demonstrating to you, which we will do, I was so concerned in demonstrating to you that Luke 6, 28, excuse me, 29, let's read it. Luke 6, 29. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. Boy, that's a powerful, powerful word from Christ. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. I spent so much time this week preparing for what those words did not mean. I was consumed with it. I was consumed with demonstrating that this was not talking about um, what a government can do in terms of acting justly on behalf of its people. I was determined to demonstrate to you that this is not applying to to government. This is not applying to issues of justice. This is not applied to to issues of, of the state. And I was determined to also demonstrate to you that this does not apply um, to issues in which you see violence being done in society at large. When you witness violence, that, that Jesus' words here in Luke six twenty nine do not apply to issues in which you witness personal injustice and violence in your presence being happening to someone else. And I was also just fixated on coming here today demonstrating to you that Luke 6.29 did not apply to remaining completely and utterly vulnerable, incapable of personal defense because of Jesus' words in Luke 6.29. I came in here wanting to explain to you in great detail that Jesus' words do not mean just take it on the chin every time someone wants to come up to you and, and punch you or harm you, or worse, harm your family or your children. I came in here today thinking of all the things that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean. And I got a long list, and we could go through that list. But as I was coming to, nearing the end of my time of study and preparation, I realized that for all the the time and effort I spent in, in... in wanting to demonstrate to you what Jesus' words did not mean, I had put much, much less effort into demonstrating what they do mean. And that, uh, I was really frustrated by that as I was trying desperately in these last um, hours of preparation to uh, make those words more substantive, more meaningful. Because I'll tell you, um, most people read Luke 6.29, most Christians read it, and all they want to do is spend time on what it doesn't mean. And what they fail to see is what Jesus actually wants you to do. And so um, I want to ask you, number one, for your forgiveness. 
I'm not ready to preach this today. I want to talk about something else instead. And so I want to ask your forgiveness because I want one more week of meditating on what Jesus is saying. And I believe that, uh, that God would much rather have me do that and seek your forgiveness for not being ready than to preach a message talking about what it doesn't mean. Can you do that for me? I'm sorry. And, um, and there, there, have been, there have been times where I would have preached this because it's ready. It is ready. It's ready to preach. And there, there have been times in my past where I would have preached this. And today, I feel like I would be doing God's word a disservice. And so I want to, I want one more week, and I want to thank you for that. So you get to study it another week too. And this time as you study, don't make the mistake that I made. Don't read Jesus' words only looking for what they don't mean. I want you to ask yourself, what does it mean for me? What am I supposed to do? As I read Jesus' instructions from verses 27 to 38. We will address that next week. Amen? Amen. I want to talk about something else right now that's been near and dear to my heart, and I know it's been near to our chairman's heart. I want you to turn to two passages with me. The first is Luke 17. Luke chapter 17. Starting in verse 7. Jumping in um, mid-story here. But we'll, we'll keep it within context. Luke 17, verses 7 to 10. Jesus has a really, really fascinating story. One that I've been, this has been, just so you know, something that I've been par- parked in personally. I, I've just sat on this text now for a long time. And it's something that been, I've been wanting to, to speak about. And this is the day to do it. Luke 17, verses 7 to 10. Jesus says this, And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to the servant when he has come in from the field, Come! Come at once! Sit down to eat! But will the master not say to the servant, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he, does the master thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, for we have done what was our duty to do. Let me read it again, this time with a little bit more color, a little bit more commentary. Because this is a tough story to understand. Luke 17, verses 7 to 10. Jesus is speaking. He's sharing a a parable. And he's speaking to his, his disciples. They're asking him, Lord, we want to we want to be better. We want to we want our, our faith to be increased. We want our, our spirituality to be, to be richer, to be deeper. We want to go further in in our relationship with you. Increase our faith. 
This is what he says, verse 7. Which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, so a servant who's, who's doing his duties on the farm, on the estate, the servant is out, he's plowing, he's tending sheep. Which of you masters, he's referring to the apostles here briefly as masters, which of you masters, having servants out, plowing, tending sheep, will say to the servant, when he's come in from the field, when he's come in from his duties, his daily duties, the basic functions of his day, what master will say to that servant when he comes in after the daily duties, come at once, sit down to eat? Verse 8. No. The master's not going to say that. But will the master not rather say to him, instead, this is what the master's going to say to the servant, prepare something for my supper. Gird yourself. Serve me till I have eaten and drunk. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does the master thank his servant because the servant just did the things that were his daily duties in the field? Does the master praise the servant? Does the master go, oh my goodness, what a, what a fantastic individual you are. You have done your daily tasks. Praiseworthy. Honorable. Phenomenal. You checked them all off today. Great job. Verse 9, does he thank, does the master thank his servant simply because he did the things that were commanded him? No, Jesus says. Not enough. Not enough to just do the basics. What's commanded of you? What you're supposed to do? Verse 10, so likewise you, disciples, when you have done all those things which are commanded you. When you've done all those things that is your duty to do before God, when you have checked off the basics, not even gone further, but just the the fundamental elements of your relationship before God. Verse 10, So likewise you, when you've done all those things which are commanded you say to yourself, if that's all you've done, you say to yourself this, we are unprofitable servants, for we have done merely, I would add the term merely, what was our duty to do. We are unprofitable, Lord, because all I've done is the bare minimum. The bare minimum. My concern uh, to my church family and uh, seeing as how I'm, I've been humbled today um, by not being ready to preach what I thought I was going to preach on, uh, I figure we can all use a little bit of humbling. Uh, it's, my, uh, it's my belief that many in the church, and I say the church at large, the church universal, and particularly the context of the church in Southern California, in South Orange County, that we Christians are guilty of 
just doing the basics. Just doing the bare minimum. And I'm, I'm deeply troubled by that. I know Glenn and I have had conversations about it. And if you'd like to say a few words at the end of this, I, I encourage you to. Um, and I know Tom and I have talked a lot about it. It seems, friends, that we're in a culture now that, uh, that things are just optional, you know? That um, I spoke, I remember about a year ago, a, a, a message, six months ago maybe, a message called the God of Open Options. The God of Open Options. And I had the word God there as little g, because what I meant by that is that it's idolatry, idolatry, to go through life supposing that you have these limitless options about what you can do with your day. Limitless options, that your day is designed around you, that your day and that your, your week and your weekend, I mean, it's your weekend, is designed around you and you alone. Your entertainment, your pleasure, whatever floats your boat, that we are living in a culture today, in a church that, that's, that's in which the, the culture has just crept into and, and pervaded and perverted. We are living in a day and age in which we think that every day is about us. Every day is about our wants, our needs. And that we have conviction about very little because we have so many options that we can go to. And so once we feel a little bit of conviction on what we ought to do, what is our duty to do, as referenced here in Luke 17, we turn and we find something else that'll, that'll please or take care of that conviction. And Luke 17, Jesus is saying, and guess what? Even when you do your duty, it's not good enough in the eyes of God. Even when you do do the basics, and by the basics I mean attend church, participate in ministry, not forsake the, the gathering of ourselves together, but encouraging one another, praying for one another, seeking out who can I minister to, who can I love. Who can I serve? The basics. Jesus says, even if we were to do the basics, it would still not yet be praiseworthy. And I fear that we're in a culture and in a church and in a day and age in which we're not even doing the basics. How much less is God pleased with us now? If the master of Luke 17 was displeased by a servant who just checked off the bare minimum. How much worse off are we when we don't even meet that? When we don't even meet that criteria. But instead we live for ourselves. We live for our pleasure, for our entertainment, for our, for our sports. I drive every Sunday past uh, Founders Park in Ladera there's a thousand people on that sports field on Sunday morning. A thousand. And I think every time, Lord, <laughs> we've, we've chosen our God. 
We've chosen our God. When we uh, plan, uh, you know, trips, we, we know long, when we plan vacations and, and times of rest, which is good, we need vacation, we need rest. I find it interesting how often we, we plan it without even a thought about how it might affect our participation in the body of Christ. You might say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor, you're supposed to be here every Sunday. Yes, I am. And uh, that's right. John's right. So are you. You're supposed to be here. Hebrews 11.25. Read it. 10.25. Hebrews 10.25. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. You wonder... If you're going through life and you're feeling empty, you're feeling low, you're feeling without hope, one of the primary reasons you feel that way is because of your lack of participation in the body of Christ. And I don't just mean a warm body in the pew. I mean your lack of participation in the body of Christ. I'm not talking just about attendance. I'm talking about you being the lifeblood of the body of Christ as a member of the body of Christ. That every part has its role to play. And I fear that there are far too few parts of the body of Christ that are working. And it's not just here at Coast. I'm speaking of the church at large, but I'm also speaking to us. And I, spe- I spoke uh, to uh, a friend the other day about how I know that other churches are grappling with this. I speak to pastors often, and I've interacted with them, and they're saying the same things about their churches. They say, you know, it's just kind of, everything's just kind of on hold right now. There's just kind of a lackluster tone in the church. The people are there. They're friendly. But you know what? They're barely doing the bare minimum. And God says, I wouldn't even praise you if you got to the bare minimum. And so what that is for us today, as we read a passage like Luke 17, what that does for us is it says, look, God, if I'm going to be a man or woman who receives honor and praise from you when this life is over. That means I got to go way further than even what you've asked me to do. I've got to do my duty as I read it in your word, yes. But even more so than that, I'm called to go above and beyond the call of duty, to work overtime. I have seen in these last years an increase in the desire to serve ourselves and a decrease in our desire to serve our Lord and one another. And I think it is high time for us as a church to renew again our commitment to the body of Christ, to being a witness to the world, to receiving the encouragement that we need here according to Hebrews 10.25 and then using that encouragement not just because we want to come here and just uh, have a time of patting each other on the back but no, to use that encouragement to use that strength to use that hope and that it would spill out into our community. I love nothing more than to see when our people rise up with an idea with, with with a vision 
for what to do in the community around us. And you know how much we rally around that. We've done it time time and again as a church. But we need to come together and we need to be faithful together, encouraging one another in order for us to receive that hope, receive that energy, receive that strength. Instead, we're listening to the culture. We're going to our sports. We're planning vacations over multiple Sundays. We're missing two, three, four in a row. And we think it, and we think it doesn't matter. Not only does it matter to you before God when you don't participate in the body of Christ. Not only is that something that you are going to stand before Jesus Christ one day and have to give an accounting for, but it also matters for the rest of us who do receive encouragement when you come and bless us with your participation. I am discouraged when I know that Christians who know better are not participating in the body. When Christians who should be, should be at this point in their development, their spiritual development, they should be over here and yet they're here or even regressing. I get discouraged by that and I take some responsibility for that as, as a pastor. And I know our elders do. So not only is it a, is it something that you'll have to answer for if you don't want to participate in the body of Christ, but it's something that discourages those around you though you may not even know it. You might think, Pastor, I don't really know what I do when I participate in the body of Christ. I come on Sunday and I don't have a great role to fulfill. It doesn't feel like I'm doing much. You know, I, I I would just wholeheartedly disagree with that assessment. I can't, I could point to so many of you today who you might think, what do I do when I come to Coast? And yet you bless me. You encourage me. You pray for me. Some of you, some of you are older and you're at a point of weakness in, you know, in your age and your strength and you can't do all that much. And yet for those of you who are at that stage of life, you know what? When you pray for us, when you come alongside uh, me and my family and just say, I've been praying for you. We love you. It's such an encouragement to me. When you go out and do that to others in the church, it's such an encouragement to them. So don't ever think that, that your role, your, your, the position that you're to play in the body of Christ is insignificant or that, that no one notices. We do notice. We do notice when you're gone. We do notice when you're not participating. And you know what else? The people who are participating, some of them are getting tired. They're getting tired of participation because they are, are having to shoulder the load that so many others are letting go of. Paul tells us to, to bear our own load, to bear our own backpack, so to speak, to do what is our job to do in the body of Christ, to bear one another's burdens as well. To look out for one another when we're having sorrow and we're going through trouble. And when we're not here and not present and not participating, then you're not bearing your load in the body of Christ. And others, their loads get heavier. And they get weak. And they get discouraged. Luke 17. 
Jesus is the master. Jesus is the master. Which of you, my servants, after you've plowed the field, tended the sheep, done your duty, you come in and you say, okay, Jesus, it's my time now. It's my time. Feed me. Give me drink. I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm going to check out. I did the bare minimum, Lord. Aren't you proud of me? Jesus says, nope. I'm not. Instead, I want you to go even further. Love even more. Serve even more sacrificially. Prepare yourself. Gird yourself. Serve me till I've eaten and drunk. And afterward, afterward, may not come in this life, by the way, afterward, you'll receive blessings. You'll eat and drink. Does God thank the servant because he did the bare minimum? I think not. So likewise, you, his servants, me, our elders, our pastors, our teachers, our volunteers, our servants of Coast Bible Church, so also you, when you've done all these things, bare minimum, just getting by, thinking, ah, I did enough today, Lord, right? Say to yourself, I am unprofitable because I only did what was my duty to do. There are not many times at Coast Bible Church where we uh, give a message that is uh, (laughs) uh, sometimes more motivated by guilt than by grace. We're a gracious church. We are a grace-based church. We extend grace and mercy to all. And we know that it is only by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that we even have eternal life with God by trusting in Him. So we are a gracious church and we are a merciful church and you don't hear a lot of guilt from this pulpit. In fact, you hardly ever hear it because we talk so much about the grace of God. But today, I want more conviction in us. We should be a little guilty. I know I am. Because our commitment to the church, to the body of Christ, our commitment to serving our God and doing what He asks, and not just what He asks, but going above and beyond the call of duty, I fear we're falling short of that. I may be wrong, but I believe you sense it in your heart too. So I'm asking you going forward, and I'll I'll have Glenn give the benediction today and he can say some words himself, but I'm asking you going forward, Would you help me go the extra mile? I want praise from God. I don't want praise from man. When this life is over, there's only going to be one audience who I stand before. I want praise from God. I want you to have praise from God. The only way you will get that is by not just doing the bare minimum, and thinking that you skated by, but by recognizing that you need a total and utter and loyal commitment to the church and to the building up of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O Lord, um, we pray that your spirit would convict us where appropriate 
If this is a message for us, God, would it resonate in our hearts? We want to do better, God. I want to do better. We want praise from you, Lord, but I fear that we're all falling short. We have let the the, the pleasures and the entertainment of this world corrode our mind into thinking that that's even fulfilling. It's not. It's not. God, you are our all in all. And we want to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, knowing full well that when we do, all the real blessings, all these good things will be added to us as well. Let us renew again, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit this morning. Let us renew again in our hearts a desire to not merely skate by in this life, but to go above and beyond wherever you're calling, God, wherever you're calling that that effort. It can be done in many different ways. And it's not just about parking it in the pew. It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go. Let us be a church that rises up beyond the bare minimum that we might serve you with our whole heart and mind and receive praise from you on the last day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.